Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to this fabulous new segment for all of us. You know, today we are talking about something we've been talking about and advocates of for 15 years. I remember the first show I did on autism 15 years ago. I remember the statistics on this 15 years ago. And what I want to say today is that was then, this is now. Joining me here today is Dr. Stephen Marin, Chief Medical Officer, Centria Autism, and Taylor Schmidt, who is somebody that knows up close and personal what this conversation is all about. Today, we're thrilled to be bringing you information, updated information, awareness information about a new survey of parents of children with autism, how it uncovers unmet needs, treatment impact, and societal perspectives, and by the way, that's an understatement. Uh, Dr. Marin, thank you. Taylor, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Okay, so look, 15 years ago when I did my first show on this, uh, because this is personal for me, uh, 15 years ago did my show, there was a body of statistics. Fast forward to where we are today, the numbers are staggering. Give us an update. Well, you know, over the last 15 years, there's been a significant amount of uh, understanding of the nature of autism. There's been better screening tests, uh, more sensitivity to diagnosis, and we've seen the numbers go from 1 in 72 or 1 in 78 children to now 1 in 59 or more. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, it's not necessarily that there are more children with autism. We've just gotten much, much better at identifying them and making sure that they're appropriately diagnosed. And this, this is actually one of the findings of this survey is that even with this new information, even with our understanding of autism, uh, parents are still reporting anywhere from 15 to more months of delay between the time that they have concerns about their child and the time that a child's able to start therapy. And the survey identified two big categories. One is there's just no clear path for parents in terms of them finding the information they need. And even when they do find a path, there's a lot of barriers between their desire to get their child tested and getting the child tested. And often, as many, as some parents reported as many as eight different office exams, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, often with different providers, their own pediatrician, a developmental pediatrician, a psychologist, all are required to actually make uh, the diagnosis happen and get, the kid into ther- get their children into therapy. And unfortunately, this creates what we call an, a lost opportunity for treatment. Yeah. The other thing is, and I want to really talk to this and really go to you, uh, Taylor, about this, too. Uh, I I certainly were in media, but we're independent media. We're not part of a big mega company. So as the owner of the company, I get to bring conversations to the forefront on issues that are most relevant. We've been talking about this for 15 years. And even with that, I don't believe that in our pop culture, we are adequately representing 
autism by any means. I want to ask you, Taylor, what do you think the impact of that is for you? And what is it that you have to battle given the misrepresentation in the media? Well, first off, I, I really want to thank you for bringing awareness to this. I think it's really important, and I'm I'm proud of you for bringing awareness to this and taking a stand on it. I really appreciate it thank as a you. parent. It's great for people to know things about my children, but I think that um, we just we don't want to be looked down upon or looked at as different. We want our kids to just blend in with society and. Um, you know, a, a, a parent of a typical child will say they want their kid to stand out, or I just want my kid to fit in. Mm-hmm. I want my kid to blend in with everyone else and, and not stand out and not be something that, you know, people stare at. So if we can bring as much awareness and acceptance to autism as possible, then my kids will just be another kid and not, oh, that kid that has autism. Mm. Uh, you know, let's talk about the conditions of this. And thank you for saying that, because that's really been for me and for what we're doing here is our biggest, biggest communication uh, call to action is that. Uh, and, and so let's talk about this. You know, doctor, I want to ask you this question. Um, this period of time between diagnosis and treatment is just unacceptable. And mm-hmm. I don't understand it. I mean, can you enlighten us or something? Sure. I, well, actually, first of all, I want to thank you also for, for uh, raising the issue about acceptance of differences in society. Uh, even as a pediatrician, you know, uh, I, as a pediatrician, I refer to, I would normally refer to autism as a neurodevelopmental condition. But I will tell you, I learned from another parent of a child with autism that she refers to her son as differently wired. Yes. And, uh, and 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 in, and it, the minute that you do that, you start to look at autism not itself as a disability, but understand that this you may be differently wired, and and as a result, you may have autism-related disabilities. Now, the issue of delays in diagnosis and access to treatment are really a function of the way the system is organized, because mm-hmm. there is no clear path. A general pediatrician may be very good at saying, "Oh, I think this child needs further testing," but they themselves don't do the testing. They need to refer that child to a developmental pediatrician or a psychologist. And then, uh, then once that's done, and by the way, there's backlog, there's not enough resources to actually do the diagnoses, so there's waiting lists for the developmental pediatricians, there's often waiting lists for the psychologists, and again, more delays get put into the system. That's assuming parents find it, because even knowing the fact that there's that your pediatrician generally doesn't do the diagnosis is something people need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Then even once the diagnosis is done, and different Insurance companies have different rules and regulations and standards for what a diagnostic test is because there is no single test for autism. You have to do multiple assessments and judge that against the criteria for diagnosis. Then there's another handoff, which is to the kind of this autism care system where you then make therapeutic choices. And obviously we're very supportive of, and as a pediatrician, and I, have, I, I'm, I can't do behavior analysis, but I'm very supportive of applied behavior analysis because I've seen the results, and I've looked at the evidence in terms of its applicability and, and its effect at making positive, productive changes in children's life. But again, there's another set of delays in terms of finding the appropriate therapy. So it's not that the resources aren't out there. They're just not coordinated. And in fact, the majority of the parents in our survey, 86% of them, said they really, really needed help in coordinating their child's treatment and care. Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, you, you know, let's talk about this too then from, uh, you know, some of the things that are said to folks. One of the things that I've experienced with this is the notion that you would just grow out of it. Uh, you know, Taylor, I mean, I don't know, like, can I talk with you a minute, you know, piggybacking off of what Dr. Murin said is, can you share what some of the things parents are told or what you're, or, or what it's like for you to figure out what is going on and what can I do? There's nothing more painful, I think, than a parent to know that there's some action to take and not being able to get in, pointed in the right direction to take it. Mm-hmm. I I was very lucky in our diagnosis process that we, we got connected with Centria really, really quickly, but I'm learning that, that, that that's not always the case right. for parents. And I think there's a stigma about autism and parents a lot of the delay comes from parents not wanting to think that their child is autistic. And I, I want parents to know that it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. So go to the doctor and, and express to them your concerns and tell them you want to start the diagnosis process. And it's really going to make for a better life for your whole family. Um, I, I think it's just so important. And especially if you get in touch with Centria, Centria was, has been so great to us and our whole process from calling to getting the diagnosis to starting ABA therapy. And now we've been doing ABA with my oldest son for five years, and we haven't had any bumps or hiccups. It's just parents have to advocate for their children. They have to say, I think something is going Mm -hmm. on, and that's really, really important. I'd like to echo that because, again, I'm I'm, going to give my pediatric colleagues the benefit of the doubt that when they say, let's see if they grow out of it, they're really trying to be hopeful. Yeah, And and so, so, you know, even with that as a benefit of the doubt, the fact is parents do need to advocate and say, you know what, I understand that, but yeah. I'm seeing this, and I'd really like to go through the testing. Even if the testing shows out negative, I'd rather have the test in my hand mm-hmm. and go through that process than kind of wait it out. Now, again, it, you know, we, it, even if it's 1 in 59, a lot of professionals see many, many children. They see children whose behavior may not, um, you know, show any big kind of pattern. But, you know, most health professionals see children for short periods of time. Parents are with their children all day long. And we like, in pediatrics, we like to say parents are really the experts on their kids. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think one of the things I need to really talk about, and let's talk about some of the technology and discoveries, because I think this is exciting. But, you know, for somebody like me, who went back to school at a late age to get an advanced degree, by the way, you know, and discovered that I ha- I was what you call, okay, let me tell you the proper term is learning different. That's the latest popular <laughs> term for <Okay>. me. <laughs> I'm learning different, which means that there were some things in my going back to school, you know, age 40 over that were not going to work and some things that I excelled at beyond anybody's mm-hmm. uh, capability. But the thing that I want to say about this is that we get these labels on people without looking at it. So in my case, I am very good at repetitive tasks. I'm very good at conceptual things. I fit sort of the, what do you call it, a, a scale. There's a scale, right? And it was actually told at one point in time when I was in my doctoral program that they thought I had Asperger's. And so, you know, one of the yeah. things I think about with all of this is what do you do when people talk about this? Now, I will tell you the great news. You want to hear the great news? Really great news. Sure. I am by far, even at my age, one of the best table tennis players in my age group. <laughs> I won a gold medal for my age three gold medals last year because hitting that little white ball back and forth as hard as I could do, 
it's pure perfection. But what we're talking about today is not misdiagnosing, misunderstanding, and treating people with kindness and mm-hmm. without reservation. And I want to ask you, what are we going to do about that? Tell us about the technology. Tell us about what society should do. And definitely, for those of us in the media, we need to get better educated. Well, I'd I, like to say the first thing is introducing the world to people like Kayla. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to do that to you. <laughs> Because, because, you know, again, the, the, the you know, suppose, you know, uh, physicians and pediatricians and, and, mm-hmm. ch- and child development experts can come and talk about the evidence and the science and yeah. the research. But the fact is, until we hear from the, the children themselves in many cases um, or their parents, uh, it really kind of breaks down uh, the reality of the situation. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, Kayla tells a story. Yeah. Oh, Kayla tells a story <laughs> about her son at age one learning to respond to his name. Now, we think, okay, children naturally respond to their name, but the fact is children with autism are often kind of locked in their own little, in their own little oh, world, definitely. and you may say their name over and over again, and they don't respond, and yet kind of turning to your name as a child seems to be something very organic. So why don't you share that with us? I, um, so one of the first things that they did when we started the diagnosis process with Jacob, who's my mm-hmm. oldest and my first diagnosed, is they wanted to test his hearing. Mm. So he's not responding to anything we're saying. They want to make sure it's not a hearing problem. And that seems to be pretty normal standard practice. And um, I agreed with the decision, but we needed him to know his name was Jacob and how to respond to his name. That's so important. And it's really a, a safety concern when we go out in public yeah. and I call his name, he needs to know to look. So our first ABA program ever was his ABA tech standing to the left of him, to the right of him, behind him, in front of him in saying his name in a high voice, a low voice, a, voice, a scared voice, an excited voice, and he, he had to be taught to turn his head and look in the direction that we were calling. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we, we, you know, the therapy is so individualized. So after that, we moved to things like him knowing what a shoe is and what a cup is. Mm-hmm. So if we were leaving, I could say, Jacob, go get your shoes, and he would know what I was talking yeah. about. Really just been so valuable for yeah. us. So we've just been so grateful. So the, the reason they, these stories are important is because people have an imagination about yeah. what autism is. And when they hear these kinds of stories, they really understand the reality of it. So I'd like to encourage your listeners to go to centriaautism.com. Yep. There's resources on autism, about ABA, and about the survey itself. Or they're welcome to call 855-77-AUTISM and speak to one of our navigators, who, by the way, are happy to help them understand how the system works. They don't have to become a client of ours. That's not part of it. Uh, this phone, the, the, uh, the contact center we have is more than happy to explain and help people understand exactly what they need to go through to make the best decisions for their kids. Yeah, and I want to also say something else, too. I, and I know you guys got to run. I would like to encourage our listeners to really consider the word advocate. I really would like them to consider that word, you know, because for many of us, we we don't really score on the high end of any scale, but we get labeled unapproachable. She can't hear. She's insubordinate. You know, she lives on a cloud. I have performance reviews, and I'll end with this, that say, wow, she's really good at what she does, but we think she's from another planet. So having said that, thank you both. Please give your website again. And Taylor, thank you for getting out there. Centriaautism.com. Thank you both. All right, everybody. Now, look, more to come on this. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Have you discovered the remarkable books at angelhealinghouse.com? Author Claire Candy Hoff has channeled rare books of inspiration and insight. Angels of Faith is an inspiring story of healing, comfort, and hope that reminds us that death is not to be feared, 
but embraced with joy. One True Home Behind the Veil of Forgetfulness takes readers on a roller coaster ride through Angel Ariel's five most important lives on Earth, as well as her experiences in the afterlife, and helps us remember our own journey across the veil. And Claire Candy's autobiography, I Am an Angelic Walk In, which details the 2003 soul exchange that took place when Claire Candy walked out of her body and Angel Ariel walked in, creating heaven on earth for herself and others. To find out more about these wonderful books, visit angelhealinghouse.com today. Are you tired of being bloated and nauseous? Hi, I'm Mary Jane Mack. Did you know eating unhealthy foods eventually leads to an unhealthy digestive system? Did you know eating the most healthy, nutritious food doesn't necessarily result in a healthy body? The stomach must be healthy in order to properly digest, metabolize, and utilize even the best of nutrition. Without proper digestion from the stomach through the intestinal tract, the nutritious value is not absorbed and the improperly digested food can be more toxic to your body than helpful. You can be doing all the right things and getting all the wrong results. In fact, other organs may also be interfering with your stomach's ability to digest. Contact us today for your appointment at 888-777-4232. That's 888-777-4232. Or visit us at maryjanemack.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Listen, you all have heard us do many, many shows. One of the shows you've heard us do over a 15-year period is really to take on the conversation of meningitis. You've heard me talk about it, Dr. Ronnie talk about it, Dr. Darvish talk about it, you know, and today, Dr. Leonard Friedland is talking about it. Also joining us to really shine the light on something that's so important, shine the light on courage, is Sheila Avento meningitis survivor, and we're going to talk about what this is, what it means. You know, for Dr. Uh, Leonard, for those of you out there, you know, he is going to be here today presenting the scientific information we now have, what the latest is. And for Sheila, Sheila, her, her story is one of those stories that many of us, many of us wonder how people like she stands up with courage in the world, her life after meningitis, what she experienced, and how she is saying yes to really taking this conversation worldwide. Uh, welcome to both of you to join us here today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to start with uh, you, uh, doctor, uh, first, and then Sheila, I want to get back to you. Um, we are coming up on April 24th, World Meningitis Day. Um, and as I said before, we've done a lot of shows in a 15-year period about this, very different aspects of it. But we are at a new, let's say, crossroads with this today. And I wanted to ask you, share with our listeners what it is and what the most important things folks should know, uh, especially now that we have information about what's happening with young adults. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I'm Dr. Leonard Friedland. I'm a pediatrician uh, in Philadelphia and a vaccine researcher at GSK, where I've been involved in the development of many vaccines across the lifespan of patient age over the years. And among those that I'm most proud to be involved with are vaccines to protect against meningococcal meningitis. And the reason for that is as a practicing physician, I've cared for many patients and families over the years who children have had this devastating disease and to know that we have vaccines that can help provide protection against this potentially devastating, and you'll hear Sheila's story, disease 
is something that I'm very proud of, but we need to raise awareness so that families know about this. So to answer your question, what's really important to know is that meningococcal meningitis is caused by a bacteria. This bacteria lives in our nose and in our throat, almost always asymptomatic, not causing any problems. But five to 10 out of every 100 adolescents, young adults will have this bacteria in their nose and they spread it to other people from kissing, from coughing, from sneezing, from saliva, from being in close contact. Occasionally, there's a strain of the bacteria that can cause problems and it gets into somebody's nose and then for reasons we don't understand, it gets into their bloodstream and can go to their brain and spinal cord or the rest of their body and cause absolute devastation. The disease comes on really, really fast. And as you'll hear from Sheila, it can be absolutely devastating very quickly. This is a disease that we don't want to wait for it to happen and then treat it. This is a disease that we want to prevent it from happening to start with. And we can do that today through vaccination. There are five types of this bacteria that we're concerned about. And with two different types of vaccines, we can help provide protection against all five. And lastly, the Centers for Disease Control is putting their focus on prevention for meningococcal disease in adolescents and young adults. And so that's where these vaccines are licensed. That's where they're recommended. But parents won't know about it unless they learn about it and speak to their doctor. And that's why it's so important. We're proud that there is World Meningitis Day to raise awareness and to understand what this disease is. It is vaccine preventable, but vaccines only happen if people get them. And that is through discussion with providers to make sure you're up to date on the recommended vaccines and then make whatever decisions are best for your family. Wow, thank you. Uh, you know, one of the things I want to point out again, uh, if I could, is that we don't really think about this and put the word pediatrician together in the same sentence. So that right now today is super important. And I think, Sheila, thank you for joining me here today because it really does point to this issue. Because when we're looking at you and your journey and life after meningitis, you know, people may not know that you were a young woman when you yes. contracted this. So thank yes. you for sharing the story today. What was it like for you? Uh, like the doctor said, it was very devastating for me. It changed me completely. You know, I thought, I just had the flu. I didn't know anything about meningitis back then. I never even heard of it. So like I said, I thought it was just the flu. And then suddenly my body began to deteriorate so quickly in such a short period of time. And on that day, July 6, 2003, all of a sudden, within a few hours, I was rushed to the hospital. I was gasping for air. And then suddenly my life was slipping away. And then boom, I was in a comatose state. And I almost didn't make it. Unfortunately, I did. And I woke up, my hands were dead. And suddenly I was amputated in all four limbs, my hands, both hands by the wrists and both legs below the knees. And then I lived a life of several years as a quadruple amputee. And then uh, years later, I had a bilateral hand transplantation. And that's because of the meningitis. Mm -hmm. I lost my independence, you know, and then I went through intensive occupational therapy. And then I had to instill in my head that I am a meningitis survivor. Yeah. So I, every day that I met people, I had to educate them on the importance of meningitis vaccination. But then as a personal goal of mine, I had to learn how to be independent again. You know, I got to ask you this. 
it's yes. I know you're here and you are so talking about it with such courage right and dr. Friedland you, you travel with uh, Sheila you hear this story you know you hear her courage but it's hard to imagine what this was like for you and yet at the same time it is so we want to honor you for becoming a spokesperson on this because this is the only way that we're going to be able to educate and stop this isn't it dr dr friedland correct oh, absolutely sheila is an inspiration as are many every other survivor that i've met but i've also mm -hmm. met the, the parents of children who, who lost their lives to this disease. And those yeah. parents are, are courageous and brave as well to, yeah. to speak up and to educate because this is a disease that every parent should know about because, yes, it is uncommon, but it happens. It happened to Sheila. Why Sheila? We'll never know. And that's not really, that's not what's important. What is important is we know there are other people who will be at risk and we can't predict who they are. And so Sheila is an inspiration. I wish we were, you know, in your studio today so we could meet you personally. Yeah. Uh, but when you meet Sheila, you realize that life, the glass is half full and that we need to make the most of everything that we have. But we also don't want to see other people suffer from things that we've suffered if there's an opportunity that it can be prevented. And that's why it's so important to to talk about this and then to learn and become knowledgeable, be armed with information. So there's a website that I may yes, direct please. your listeners to. It's meningitisb.com, M-E-N-I-N-G-I-T-I-S-B as in boy.com, meningitisb.com. And there, families, young adolescents and young adults can take five minutes and, 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 you know, click through and learn about what is this disease, hear patient stories like Sheila's, you know, put, put, a, put a picture to what this is, and then learn that there are vaccines that can help provide protection. There are two different types of vaccines that can provide protection against all five of the types of this bacteria that are vaccine preventable. And then go speak to your doctor, your nurse, the, the student health center, and ask, am I up to date with both of these types of vaccines? Because I want to be sure that I am giving myself or my family the, the, the optimal protection that I can. Because we just never know when this is going to strike. And uh, we have the power to help provide protection. But that is through vaccination. And vaccination only happens if the vaccine is given. And that is through knowledge and, and, and being proactive in this situation and Sheila's story is really important to hear and I'm really glad that she's here to share it with you because you just you know you can read about it in a textbook but you don't know what it's no. like until you meet somebody and you see what life is like after meningitis world meningitis day is, is april 24th the theme this year is life after meningitis to talk about what this disease is all about and why it's so important to provide protection through vaccination yeah, and I want to just say thank you. For those of you listening, uh, yeah, it would be wonderful to have uh, Sheila and you both in our studio or on Facebook Live. But I want to say, in order for you to find out about Sheila's story, you can Google her. Sheila Advento, A-D-V as in Victor, E-N-T-O. Go ahead, you'll find her. Um, I want to talk with both of you because I want to drive this point home, and I know we only have to, a couple minutes left. I, I want to make sure that 
the parents that are listening to this don't blow by the fact that we are talking about young adults at risk. And I think we should say that and give them some tools, some ideas on what to pay attention to. First, you, doctor, and then from Sheila. Yes. So the, the group that's at risk that the Centers for Disease Control is focusing their efforts on vaccination are adolescents and young adults. The Centers for Disease Control recently conducted a study of 18 to 24-year-olds, one group, 1824, who attended college, and college is loosely defined. It's not just four years, you know, in a residence hall. It also includes, you know, uh, people who commute to community college. So 1824-olds who attend college compared to 1824-olds who do not attend college. And the risk of meningitis due to serogroup B is 3.5-fold higher in that group. And so this is a disease where we are thinking about adolescents, young adults, and it's all about crowding because this bacteria is spread from person to person. Yep. And so we want to make sure that our adolescent young adults are vaccinated before they get to that age, preferably 16 to 18 for serogroup B, so that they are protected before the risk is at its highest. Of the serogroups I mentioned, there are five, A, C, W, Y, and B, that we're concerned about. Today, in the United States, in our adolescent young adults, 62% of the cases are serogroup B. And so we need to have not only the ACWY vaccine, which, by the way, has been available since 2005, but now also the B vaccine, which became available and recommended in 2015. So two different vaccines, one for ACWY, one for B, and the focus is on adolescent young adults because that's where the risk is greatest. Wow. Sheila? Your message. Yes. What do you want to say to folks listening? And thank you, doctor. I just want to say, do not take anything for granted. Because like what happened to me, I thought I caught the flu. You yeah. know, if you feel anything, it doesn't hurt to seek your doctor. You know, it, just for anything. Because you never know what it could be. Wow. I want to thank you both. Please give out that website again. We can't say it enough. Absolutely. Meningitisb.com. M-E-N-I-N-G-I-T-I-S, then the letter B.com. Meningitisb.com. Thank you. Thank you both so very much. We're going to take a short break, everyone. And by the way, we are planning an upcoming full hour on this topic, everyone. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Calling all moms, it's time to awaken your vibrant, intuitive, loving self in every area of your life. Join host Debbie Pokornik as she shares thoughts, stories, and tools to help you stand in your power. Listen to Vibrant Powerful Moms Helping Everyday Women Create Extraordinary Lives, Mondays at 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. For more information about Debbie, visit empoweringenergy.com. That's empowering with letters N-R-G.com. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living, LLC. For more information about Karen, visit KarenBenton.com. 
Conscious Confidence Radio, a timeless wisdom with Sarah Main. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and join Sarah on an adventurous journey to the deeper level of meaning to move beyond today's world of constant change, confusion, and uncertainty beyond the shadow of fear. This hit show explores key concepts such as confidence, values, and attitude in a dynamic way. To learn more about Sarah and her work, visit sarahmain.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome to our good news segment. Molly Weaver is joining us here today, fourth generation egg farmer, and we're going to hear more about that. Many of you have heard me talk about my own journey going through a lifetime where once upon a time we grew up in my family, eggs were a staple. And then we got some information that for those of us said, maybe you shouldn't have that many. But you know what? Then we went back to what we know best and what we know works. And that is, there's nothing more robust, more healthy for our bodies. But, but what is it about this idea of the egg that we so celebrate? It's so exciting. When we think about Easter, we think about eggs. You know, they are an Easter staple. But if you're in my family, they are a staple, period. Today, we're going to talk about a couple things. One is going to be the White House Easter egg roll. But more importantly, let's get current. Let's get ready to talk eggs. Molly, great to have you here. Great to be on. Thank you for having me. What a cool celebration, right? How fun. Oh, it's so exciting. Yeah, this year marks the 141st anniversary of the White House Easter Egg Roll. And I think it's uh, evolved so that so much. I can't really envision Easter without eggs. No, no, I can't either. But, you know, I have to tell you, if you grow up in my family, and I have an interesting family, you know, my dad remarried a woman from the South after my mom died. And what she came in with was she came in from the South. And I don't know if you know much about the South, but what you find about the South is that eggs are a staple in almost everything. And I'm glad to be celebrating this for you. So tell us more about the White House Easter egg roll. And then what is the role uh, that, you know, is played by the American egg farmer? Because I, I think we have to really talk about that thing. And I believe we take eggs for granted, those of us. We just expect them to always be there, always to have them in our homes. And I think we just don't talk about this enough and take time to really appreciate them. This year, we're expecting more than 30,000 families on the South Lawn of the White House. And so it's an incredibly unique time for egg farmers like myself to come to Washington, D.C. and and help educate uh, consumers on the journey of an egg, starting from the farm to the, all the way to the plate. Um, and the White House, the annual tradition here is, is the egg roll, and that is done by children have a large wooden spoon, and they roll the egg down the south lawn uh, towards the finish line, <laughs> and it's a, it's a fun activity, but beyond that, there are other interactive activities. Uh, there's an egg hunt, egg decorating. This year we have something called egg pops, which are hard-boiled eggs on a stick. And they're a tasty snack. We also have a variety of different sauces and spices that people can um, put on their egg. But it's, it's an incredibly exciting time. 
So, you know, let's talk about numbers, right? Because egg farmers come to the forefront, they come to the table, and what we're talking about is a record-breaking donation this year, uh, over 74,000 eggs. I think that's right, but cor correct me if I'm not. You are exactly right. So this year it is, it's the, a record-breaking number for us, and America's egg farmers collectively collectively have donated 74,000 eggs to the White House for the role. You know, if, if it's not going to be up to egg farmers, um, and certainly I, I think this is very important to talk about, we need to be talking not just about how eggs have become a staple in American families, but we also should be talking about the fact that, you know, highlighting not just how popular they are, but how good they are for us is so very important. Do you see this event and do you see your contribution in, in doing things like this also to help educate the public? Absolutely. It, it definitely is an opportunity. Um, and I think consumer awareness about farming in general, um, 2% of America's population are egg farmers. And we supply food to 98% of the rest of America. And so, you know, it's a very small percentage. And so this is a, a great platform for us to, to shake hands and introduce ourselves to people and, and answer any questions they may have. Um, and to just highlight eggs are an incredibly affordable source of protein and, and other nutritious aspects. So, you know... This has got to be exciting for you to be involved in. And, you know, and to talk about to the, to the public, right? But we also create a sort of everlasting effect, including the commemorative egg. Tell everybody what that's about. This year, it's, it's uh, especially exciting for me. Uh, the presentation of the commemorative egg dates back to 1977 when it was presented to America's first daughter, Amy Carter. And today we present it to the first lady. And what's unique this year deals with the design. So the design of the egg was inspired by the children of America's egg farmers who submitted design inspiration. And that's the first year we've, we've done that. And so to me, it's, it's um, being the daughter of an egg farmer, it's, it's something I'm very proud of. And it's a beautiful egg. Uh, this year's design was made out of quilling, which is an old art form that twists small pieces of paper to form decoration. And the egg itself is a beautiful turquoise color, but in that quilling, it also has red, white, and blue stars and yellow flowers and contains the words, Be Best, which honors the First Lady's initiative. Hmm. You know, I can hardly imagine what it's like to be you and prepare for this. And so can we talk about what actually thousands, we're not just talking a few people, we're talking to thousands of families and America egg farmers coming together on the lawn of the way. It's like a mega event. It's, you know, many people may think in listening to us that, you know, we're talking about something teeny weeny. This is a mega, mega event. You know, what is it about this that, you know, gets you fired up and how much planning goes into this? Because I can only imagine. Well, I am very thankful for the American Egg Board, which is the marketing organization that represents 
America's egg farmers. And so I would say they take that heavy lifting here for the planning. And for me personally, I've, I've worked alongside them um, just to, to prepare for radio interviews and any Q&A I might uh, have when, once I make my way over to the egg roll. And so can, can I ask you one other question regarding this? Did I of lose course. you? Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you, first of all, how can people find out more? Because let's tell everybody about it, because I think this is kind of fun. How can people find out more? And I think that folks, once they hear this, they're going to want to get more involved in this. So let's give out Thank some you. information. Sure. There's a website, and it is Incredible Egg. Dot org, mm-hmm. And the website hosts information pertaining specifics about the White House Easter egg roll and its history. Also has a picture of this year's 2019 commemorative egg. Wow. But then beyond that, it has tons of information about the journey of an egg and egg production and processing, as well as nutritional information and recipes. It's all there. Wow. Um, last question for you. Many people listening to this don't really have a sense of you and your role in this, you know, your role, fourth generation egg farmer. They don't really have a sense of what that means. I mean, this is not just the thing you do. This is a way of life for you. This is who you are. This is what you're passionate about. And this is where you carry your legacy forward. So I want to thank you for that today. And I want to ask you this question. Having said all that, what are you most excited about for the future in this arena? Well, I, I am so, so proud to have returned to a family business that was started by my great-grandfather in 1929. Um, and as you alluded to, continuing that legacy is incredibly rewarding to me. Um, and, and going forward, I think I bring in um, some youngness to something that's you know, historically a very traditional industry. And even being a female farmer, I, I think adding diversity to that and, and new ideas, I think there's going to be a lot of exciting things to come in the future. I love it. Thank you so much. Website again and personal message. Incredibleegg.org. And, and I thank you for having me today. Thank you so very much, everybody. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered how you might feel differently? if the books were full of her instead of him? What if your history lesson was filled with powerful women leaders and rulers? As a woman, would you feel more empowered? As a man, would you see women differently? I'm Megan Edge. I'd love for you to join me on my radio show, Playing on the Edge, Radical Change with Ease, with my co-host, Dr. Pat, on Transformation Talk Radio. I hope to see you there. Are you feeling stuck in unhealthy habits, toxic relationships, or low self-esteem? Do you crave a healthy relationship filled with inspiration? You might just be on the verge, on the verge of attracting your soulmate. Tune in each month to The Laura Richer Show, where dating coach Laura Richer share tools for using your dating breakdown for a relationship breakthrough. For more information, visit richerhealinghypnosis.com. Are you looking for the perfect setting for your next workshop or retreat? At Spirit Fire Meditative Retreat Center, cultivating consciousness is what we do best. Our guests count on us to create an atmosphere that supports serenity and well-being. We lead from the heart and create space for the mind. Freshly prepared meals designed with local and organic ingredients, 95 acres of beautiful woods and pastures, and a facility built with green in mind. This is what you'll find at Spirit Fire. 
For more information, visit spiritfireretreatcenter.com. Hey, everybody, a welcome to our good news segment. And I got to tell you, this is super really good news. And I'm going to tell you why. For many of us, we have been told over the past two decades, don't eat this, don't eat that, eat more of this, and really no good reason. But if you're someone like me, one of the things that you absolutely did not cut out of your diet, oh, yes, it is, eggs. Dr. Mickey Rubin joining me here today, Executive Director of the Egg Nutrition Center. And he's looking at, as he's done for most of his career, he's looking at foods that serve to best suit us from a nutritional point of view. And then he's now taking this information out into the world, especially since he has been involved so deeply in positions such as Vice President of Nutrition Research at National Dairy Council. Good news for everybody. Good news. Dr. Rubin is somebody that doesn't just dig deeply into nutrition and research, but is out there saying, this is what we need to be able to live long and prosper. Dr. Rubin, great to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Pat. It's a pleasure. You know, this is one of these conversations and arguments I've had with friends and families because I would not give up the egg. Help me here. Well, you know, it's that time of year where everybody's looking to make their New Year's resolutions and trying to make their healthy diet resolutions. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, something that you can really incorporate into your diet that's such a simple, small change, but really impactful one, it's eggs. Mm. You know, eggs are so versatile, they can fit into a number of different diet plans, and they deliver so many key nutrients that you can't really get anywhere else. You Things like choline and vitamin B12 and zinc and selenium, it's really a unique nutrient package, uh, to say nothing of the high-quality protein that's coming along with it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's at only 70 calories, it's a lot of nutrition for the calories. And, you know, let's talk about this because it is really true that many of us uh, have gone through these stages where folks um, really were, were, were absolutely obsessed with the facts that we should cut certain things out of our diets, which now we know have been super nutritious. I mean, you know, when we look at something like coconut, for example, and coconut oil, But eggs, this was something so intuitive for many of us as we looked at this and we're thinking about, here we are, eggs, egg white. I want to talk to you about a couple of things. What are some of the attributes we should be aware of? Because there's the big debate, egg whites, egg yolks, what do I do? Well, you know, everybody lo- you know, likes the egg whites for the protein, and that's fine. But, you know, it's important to know, and a lot of people may not appreciate, that the yolk is where all the nutrition is. Yeah. It's where the vitamins and minerals are. The things like the B12, the zinc, the choline that we mentioned, it's all in the yolk. And when you toss out the yolk, you're tossing out all those valuable nutrients. You know, things like choline that, you know, that we're learning is really important for brain development, both for during pregnancy and infancy, as well as optimal brain function later. Later in life, you know, when you're tossing the yolk, you're tossing out the choline. So it's important to really, uh, I think, you know, keep the yolk. And, you know, 
actually, that's the delicious part of the egg. Yeah. So when you toss the yolk, you're not only tossing the nutrition, you're tossing the delicious part of the egg and the, and the flavor. So, you know, we've really come a long way. You know, it used to be that, you know, avoid eggs because of cholesterol. And now, you know, cholesterol is not what we thought it was. Uh, you know, the dietary guidelines no longer classify cholesterol as a nutrient of concern because what the science has now shown is that when you eat cholesterol, it doesn't really significantly impact the cholesterol in your body. Uh, so that's not really something that we can, need to be concerned of anymore. And now we're actually focused on the benefits of eggs. It's, it's, it's really changed the, changed the paradigm a little bit. It's not, you know, what should we avoid? It's what should we include? And all the nutrients uh, in eggs are certainly something to include. Yeah, and yeah, and so what what I think about is, you know, it's really a joke. Oh, here we go. It's a joke to toss the yolk. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I had to do that. Um, but let's talk about this, though, in terms of, look, these are the goals we set for the New Year's resolutions. I'm one of these people that I'm, I work a lot of hours, and every once in a while, if I don't have my protein hit, I call it, I'm kind of lost for the day. And I've just started now to get into the habit where I'm bringing hard-boiled eggs to work. And I'm just like sitting here 11 o'clock, I'm like popping in a couple of eggs. What does that do if you could fill us in on how it feeds and becomes fuel for the brain? Absolutely. You know, I do the same thing. I like to boil up about a dozen at the beginning of the week and then have it for breakfast or take it with me. Uh, because what that does, and there's some really good research to, sh- to demonstrate this, is that when you have that high quality protein at breakfast or at, or a snack, it really helps you get to that next meal. You know, so you're not snacking on some other foods that might be, you know, not as healthy. Uh, and so it really helps you stay on track in your diet. It helps you, you know, really feel fuller for longer and really help you stay focused and, and, uh, uh, sort of help help you stay on track throughout the day. Okay, so let's talk about if we could educate and get on board here. There have been many, many misconceptions about eggs, many. Everything from how to best cook them, how to best eat them, when to eat them, don't eat them before you go to bed. I mean, they're just, I, I think they probably have been one of the most talked about foods on the menu Help us clarify some of the misconceptions. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. They're also probably one of the most interesting foods on the menu when it comes to creativity and what you can eat. But what are some of the misconceptions? Well, uh, well, some of you know, eggs are not just for breakfast anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, eggs are great throughout the day. They're, they're great for breakfast. They're great for lunch. And eggs for dinner is also great. You know, uh, I like to have you know an egg frittata for dinner because uh, that's a great way that you can incorporate vegetables more into your diet as well. There's actually some really great research to show that when you pair eggs with vegetables. The healthy fats in the eggs help your body absorb the nutrients from the vegetables even better. Uh, so it's a great pairing. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, just, not just for breakfast anymore. Uh, you can do a lot with eggs. There's, always, there's one of the most versatile foods. You know, there's, you see a lot of uh, chefs putting an egg on it and putting an egg on different things to enhance the flavor, but it's also enhancing the nutrition. Yeah. I mean, also part of this too now is we're looking at the level of creativity, especially in feeding our children. Um, and I, I honestly think mm-hmm. the kids got the biggest uh, disadvantage when the, the parents and the adults also went crazy about don't eat too many eggs. But we're now finding that even for children, 
the, the way to absorb or actually incorporate eggs in their daily day is super, super important. Isn't that true as well? Absolutely. And, you know, when you think about some of the first foods uh, that infants and toddlers are going to be having when they're first starting to move over into solids and picking up foods, what's better than a scrambled egg? You know, they can pick it up, they can eat it, and it's just chock full of those important nutrients that at that, certainly at that stage of life are critically important. The choline uh, with the, you know, cognitive development, the brain development, it's so, so important at that stage of life. And it's such a great way to incorporate, you know, it's just an easy food for for uh, those, those youngsters to, to eat and pick up, and you're getting great nutrition at the same time. Okay, so let, before we kind of get really uh, going here on a few things, how can people find out more about this? And then I also want to talk about the fact that eggs also perhaps are one of the most affordable sauce, uh, or sources of protein. How can people find out more? Well, they can go to our website at eggnutritioncenter.org. We have a lot of great nutrition information and some healthy recipes, so be sure and check that out. But when you talk about the affordability, I mean, that is a really key piece here because everybody is pretty cost-conscious these days. And when you talk about uh, uh, a food that's so nutrient-dense, has the great protein, the best protein that you can get, and it's only about 15 cents. For one large egg. I mean, think about all you're getting, the nutrition bang for your buck there at only 15 cents for one large egg. Uh, there really is no better deal. Yeah. Um, you personally, all the interviews you've done, all the research you've done, uh, now mm -hmm. you're out and you are literally a spokesperson to bring our, us into a new way of taking great care of ourselves. What do you think the challenges are for us in this country to kind of get on board with that? Well, you know, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different this diet or that diet. You know, it's, it's, it could be all that information and sometimes misinformation could be challenging for everybody to absorb. But, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different avenues to a healthy diet. Uh, but if you kind of keep some simple, um, make some simple changes, incorporate some, uh, you know, nutrient-dense foods like eggs, whether you're more of a plant-forward diet, you know, and eggs on top of your salad are great. Some people are trying to, you know, lower their carb intake, and eggs are great for that. I, I think just simple changes, and, you know, if it's, you know, I, I think it's just try to stay away from the clutter of misinformation out there. I think it's, that, that could be very challenging. Wow. You know, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for doing these interviews and taking the message out there. Uh, last question for you, and again, thank you. What's your personal message? What do you want to say to parents, children, folks out there that have set the goal of losing weight, getting in great shape? What do you want to say to them about this? Well, for me, the thing that always helps, small changes. There's a lot of different avenues to health and wellness. Uh, find what works for you. Uh, and then make those small changes a uh, little bit by bit uh, because I think what works, you have to find what works for you the best because what works for one might not work for the other uh, and then stick to those small changes and, and, and then you'll, you'll be successful. Thank you. Thank you so much for getting the word out. Thank you for doing what you do. I appreciate it. You too. Take All care. Right. You bet. Hey, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. 